uh, called Awe. Three weeks ago, we started this series. If you've missed any of the messages, I encourage you, jump on our podcast and uh, catch up. But we've been talking about those moments in life where God reveals himself or he reveals his work. And those moments cause pure awe, like life. Like the video you just saw, isn't, isn't life incredible? I mean, life really itself is a miracle. So we've talked about the awe of God's glory. Last week we talked about the awe of God's presence. Today we're going to talk about the awe of salvation. Now, uh, just before we look into that, I want to remind you tonight we have our monthly soak service, prayer and worship service. So in January I asked you and said to you that really what I thought the Lord wanted to emphasize in our church this year is, will we as a church recommit to God, God's presence and prayer? And so tonight is our opportunity to do that again. So tonight, would you recommit your life to God's presence and prayer, and would you join us for Soak at 5.30 for a time of worship? Well, today we're talking about the awe of salvation. I, you know, in today's world, we hear these phrases like... Um, Billion and trillion. And these big words that we sort of throw around like pennies. And I don't know if you've ever stopped to think, what does billion really mean? What does trillion really mean? It's a difficult number to comprehend, but what I wanted to do this morning is just give you a few uh, thoughts to maybe show you that exactly what billion is. So here's a couple of those thoughts. A billion seconds ago, it was 1975. <laughs> How many of you weren't born yet? <laughs> yes, well, a billion seconds ago, you weren't alive. A billion minutes ago, uh, John was writing the book of Revelation. Billion, that's what a billion is. A billion hours ago, there was no record of human existence on earth. A billion days ago, only God knows what was happening, because he's the only one that was around. A billion dollars ago was only six hours and 20 minutes at the rate the federal government spends it. <laughs> so if that gives you some idea what a billion is, sometimes like this word billion or trillion that we just throw around casually and don't really understand the weight of, we throw this word salvation around like pennies. If you've grown up with any Christian background at all, or any relatives that were Christian, you've heard the word saved. I'm saved, are you saved, did he get saved, is she saved? When you go to a funeral and somebody passes away, was she saved when she died? Did he get saved? Does he need to pray the sinner's prayer so he can be saved? Did you check the box on the little card we handed you that said, I got saved? And the word saved and salvation may or may not mean anything more to you than a religious word. But this morning, maybe if you're thinking, I've been saved for a long time, the last thing I need to hear is a sermon about salvation. You're the exact person I came to talk to this morning. The awe of salvation. Have you lost the wonder of salvation? Do you have any awe of it? Does it still amaze you that somehow you got in on this? 
Does it, does it create any wonder in you? Sometimes our cultural understanding of salvation undermines the pure wonder of it. One billion dollars in American currency would weigh over 11 tons. That's a lot of cash. But sometimes, like we throw words around and don't understand the meaning of, sometimes we minimize the understanding of salvation to something like getting God off our back, doing the right thing, going to heaven, not going to hell. But like billion and trillion, salvation is so much deeper and wider and higher and thicker and weightier and more awesome than we can imagine. Revelation 7.10 says, And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's what we sang a few minutes ago. Worshiping God about what he did on Calvary for us. So what is salvation? Salvation comes from the Greek word sozo. Sozo means this. Saved, healed, restored, preserved, made complete, and made whole. So this morning, if you've got something to write with, I want to encourage you to take a few of these thoughts down. What I'm going to do for the next few minutes is I want to try to describe for you what salvation is in three thoughts. Here's the first thought. Salvation is deep. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but Kingwood Church is an incredibly talented church. I became aware seven years ago when me and my family moved here just how talented Kingwood is. Uh, for example, there is a wealth of incredible cooks at Kingwood Church. I don't know if you know that or not. How many of you would say, I've eaten a really good meal, at least one really good meal at Kingwood Church? How many of you would say that? Oh yeah, see we've all benefited, haven't we? We've all benefited from this. Culinary arts has absolutely exploded in our culture in the last 10 or 15 years. So with the advent of Food Network and the Cooking Channel and online recipes, food quality, we have better access to better food than, than maybe at any time in history. So I don't know if you like Food Network like I do. How many of you like Food Network? How many of you like Food TV? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love Food Network. I love to watch the little food shows. And now they got all these competition shows. And, you know, some of them, they're trying to figure out how far they can go. But usually on these shows, as much as I love it, there are three judges. Have you noticed this? There are three judges. And uh, if I'm honest with you, they just irritate the fire out of me. Like these judges, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're eating a $100 piece of steak with pomegranate, balsamic, garlic, steak sauce, twice-baked, salted bacon potato, slathered in goat cheese, red onion, fresh green salad with mango chutney salsa for dressing, and they take a bite and say, I believe the meat was a little underdone. If you would have had one more salt granule on the potato, that would have really put your meal over the top. And I just want to reach to the TV and slap every one of them across the face, going and coming. <laughs> because, see, I grew up eating country southern food. We had pinto beans slathered in pinto bean sauce with cornbread <laughs> smeared with butter from the tub. Turnip greens with real turnip chunks soaked in turnip juice. And on the good days, we had a little chow chow to dobble on top of our beans. How many of you know what chow chow is? You got to be a true southerner to know what chow chow is. 
Yeah, yeah, I want to slap every one of them. The only thing is, their palate has been refined. And they're detecting something that we often detect, but we might not know what to call it. It's depth of flavor, richness, and layers. And you chew the food, and the longer you chew it, the more flavor that comes out. This is what salvation means. The longer you chew it, the more flavor that comes out. Salvation is not just the greatest gift of God on earth to humanity. It's not just for non-Christians. It's not just for the, a moment that you find Christ. It's not just for getting saved. It's for everyone, and it's for your whole life. Keep chewing it, and I promise you, more flavor will come out. Tell me I've been saved 40 years. Cross your arms and stick your nose up in the air. Have you lost the awe and wonder? The Language of Salvation is a book written by Richard Culligan, and he describes 13 scriptural pictures we get about salvation. Death to life, guilt to forgiveness, rejection to acceptance, bondage to freedom, Satan's realm to God's kingdom, punishment to restoration, darkness to light, impurity to purity, alienation to friendship. Separation to union, barrenness to productivity, deformity to glorification, and defeat to victory. Salvation is deep. There's layers of flavor. Keep chewing on it. There's more in there than you thought. There's enough for you to eat your whole life. Hebrews 2.3 says, how shall we escape there's two words I want you to highlight if you've got an ability to circle these. How shall we escape if we ignore a great salvation? Two words, ignore and great. How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? We should not ignore. Have you ever thought about salvation as something you shouldn't ignore? We should not ignore salvation. Salvation can be accepted. It can be rejected. It can be ignored. It can be chewed on. Salvation that should not be ignored is also great. It's deep. It's rich. The word ignore is very interesting in this verse. It's not like saying, hey, don't ignore your health care. Don't ignore your credit score. Don't ignore your cancer treatment. Don't ignore your family activities. No, 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 no. This verse sounds a little bit more like this. Don't ignore being loved by God. Don't ignore being forgiven and accepted. Don't ignore pr being protected and strengthened and guided by God. Don't ignore the sacrifice of Christ's life on the cross. Don't ignore the free gift of forgiveness and restoration. Don't ignore friendship with God and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Don't ignore free access to pray whenever you want. You have no limit on when you can pray. You can pray whenever you want to pray. Don't ignore access to heaven. Don't ignore the unbelievable promises of God. Such a great salvation. This salvation is so great. Don't ignore it. Let me say it another way. Live in awe of it. Let me give you a, a definition 
of salvation. Salvation is God's grace to live full now and forever. It's not just about eternity. Oh, it is for eternity. But it's not just about eternity, and it doesn't start then. It starts now. Salvation is God's grace to live full. Are you living full? Are you more empty? Are you living the abundant life Jesus talked about? Or are there some dry places and some hollow places and some empty places and some places of strain and void and, and question and um, struggle? Or is there fullness inside? Salvation is not a thing. Salvation is the thing. <laughs> not just for people who haven't met Jesus yet, but for sure for the ones who already have. Salvation is an ongoing work. Salvation is the most incredible celebration inside the entire kingdom of God. So I want to say this to you. If you have received salvation, if you have started a relationship with Jesus at any time in your life, and you've never been baptized in water, next Sunday we're going to celebrate water baptism, and it's going to be the most exciting day in Kingwood Church's history. And every time we celebrate water baptism, it is the most exciting day at Kingwood Church because we are celebrating the thing. We're celebrating salvation. And so uh, in your um, info guide at the bottom, on the back, it says, hey, I want to sign up to be baptized in water. If you'd like to do that, sign up there. You can tear it off and, and put it in the Welcome Center when we leave. Or, or you can go online and do it. But I want to encourage you. If you've not celebrated your salvation yet, <laughs> Jesus did. He was baptized in water. He wouldn't miss it. I want to encourage you to do that. So, salvation is deep. Here's the second thought. Salvation is simple. Salvation is simple. Just because something is deep doesn't mean that it's complicated. Just because something is rich and has layers and flavors doesn't mean that it's complicated and hard to understand. Only someone as brilliant as God could make something so rich and so powerful and so deep, but at the same time make it so simple that even a child could understand. If I'm honest with you, through my years of ministry, I've seen more people trip up on the fact that salvation was too simple than they have that it was too complicated. Well, that's all there is to it? Yeah, that's all there is to it. You mean I just have to ask God? That's it? Yes, ask God. You mean he, just right now? Yeah, right now. Yeah, it's that, it's that simple, people. It blows people's mind. They're used to, you know, paperwork and forms and hoops to jump through and all these other layers they have to be involved in. There's some beautiful and simple pictures in Scripture of salvation in the Bible, and I want to share a few of them with you this morning. One of them is taking a drink of water. Do you remember uh, when Jesus met this Samaritan woman at the well and he says to her, if you drink from the water that I have to offer, you will never be thirsty again. 
In other words, if you, if you drink, your soul will be satisfied. If you drink eternal water, your soul will be satisfied all the way down deep inside. Like a fresh drink of water to a person who is dehydrated. Have you ever been dehydrated? Anybody ever been dehydrated? You know when you drink water, it feels like every cell in your body is starting to come back to life? That's what Jesus is saying. The dissatisfaction that you have in your soul will be satisfied if you take this drink. So how are you doing today with that? Are you satisfied? Is your soul satisfied? Is there satisfaction? And Jesus wasn't just saying, get saved, and, this will, and you'll be satisfied forever. He's saying, walk in relationship with him. That's what salvation is. And drink, and drink again, and drink again, and drink again, and drink again. And you will be replenished over and over and satisfied and satisfied. What about it today? Do you feel hungry? Are you empty? Are you longing for something more in your life? The answer, according to the Bible, is simple. Drink. It's another picture in Scripture of a door. Salvation, the Bible says, is like a door. And it's unlocked. It's not like most of our doors, you know, with two locks on it or a code you have to punch in. There's this door, the Bible says, called salvation. And it's, it's unlocked. Not only is it unlocked, the Bible says in Revelation that Jesus is standing and he's knocking on it. What, what about it? What about you? Can you hear him? Can you hear him knocking? And the Bible says if you open the door, God's not going to kick it down. He's not going to force it open. But if you open the door, the Bible says he'll come in and have a relationship with you. He'll walk with you and talk with you and be with you. And you'll never be alone again. You'll be satisfied. Does anybody hear him knocking today? It's another picture um, that's really, really powerful it's a picture of a person coming home. You probably know the story, or maybe you've heard of it, of the dad who had two sons. And one of them wanted to draw down his inheritance before his dad died, even though that was unheard of at the time. I would think still is. He wanted his inheritance, and he ran away to a far land, and he, he blew it. He partied, and he wasted it, and he spent it on bad things, and he uh, ended up flat broke. And he came back home. And the Bible says that salvation is like that son coming home. It's like coming home. Salvation is God welcoming us home no matter what we've done or where we've come from. I don't know if you happen to catch this. If you haven't, I encourage you to uh, jump on my Facebook page and look at it. Uh, I posted this week a video of an American Muslim woman who found salvation in Christ. How, how, many of you, how many of you saw that video? It's four minutes, and I'm telling you, it's one of the most powerful testimonies you're ever going to hear. You can jump on my, my Facebook page and find it. Uh, really well done, unbelievable story of a woman who had no concept and actually was in a debate with a Christian. They were trying to convert each other. <laughs> And this lady 
found the miracle of salvation and she came home. Even though she thought she was home in her own religion. How about you today? Are you struggling today to know where you belong? Are you feeling lonely in your heart? Salvation is coming home. And there's one other picture that's really, really cool in Scripture. It's a picture of accepting an invitation. Accepting an invitation to a banquet. Jesus said that the kingdom of God is like a beautiful banquet where there's plenty for everybody. So Jesus has made this phenomenal banquet, this incredible spread, and he sent invitations out all over the world, and he's waiting for RSVPs. He's waiting to see if you'll show up to the banquet or not. Did you know that God has prepared a beautiful banquet for you? He did all the work. He prepared all the dishes. He prepared the table. He prepared, prepared the tablecloth. He prepared the chairs and the candles and the music and the sound and the ambiance. He's done all the work. All he wants you to do is come eat. Where, where are you at on that? Are you aware today that Jesus has invited you? This isn't, this isn't just if you're, this is, if you're not a believer... If you don't have a relationship with God, this is for you. If you have a relationship with God, this is for you. The way that you enter the kingdom is the way that you live in it. You come and eat for the first time and you come and eat again. Salvation is deep and rich and it's also simple. And I have literally tried to build my entire preaching ministry off those two thoughts. That there would be something deep enough for everybody to grow from, but simple enough that anybody could understand it. Here's the last thought. Salvation is priceless. Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else. For there's no other name. You know what that name is? The Bible says that name is Jesus. There's no other name under heaven, given to mankind, by which we must be saved. Now, critics of Christianity say, why do you Christians say there's only one way to salvation? I think that's the wrong question. I think the wrong question is, why do we say there's only one way? I think the right question is, why is there a way at all? Why is there even one way? Is the right question, is the better question. And it implies this, in order to have salvation, you must have a Savior. In order for this eternal life to be provided for us so richly and freely and deep and simple, there must be, some, there must be a provider. Somebody gave it. The universe didn't just invent it. Salvation that's free to us costs Jesus everything. I, I can't find anything else. I've, I've looked. I've searched from Genesis to Revelation. I've looked at every book. I've read every book of the Bible. I can't find one other thing in the entire Bible that God was willing to die for except your salvation. I can't find anything else. There wasn't anything valuable enough for him to die, which means it must be priceless to him, which means you must be priceless to him. You must be priceless to him. 
He would be willing to die to put his son through torture that he might just have a relationship with you. Think about the price, which means to God you're priceless. When that thought doesn't produce awe in you, something has gone wrong. Something's gone wrong. So, how do you know? How do you know when you lost the awe of your salvation? How, how, how do you know that? I got, a, I got a few thoughts for you on that. Here's, here's three. One is, you know you've lost the awe of your salvation when you're more excited about other things than you are about Jesus. What about it? Tomorrow when you wake up, what's going to give you more passion? What's going to give you more energy? What are you going to look forward to this week most? Well, I can tell you this. If the excitement that you have about something else is higher than the excitement you have about your relationship with God, you've lost your awe of your salvation. It's a little thin. It's missing something. Here's a second thought. You, you've lost the awe of your salvation when you prayed to become a Christian, but you're not living a relationship with God. Like somewhere you res responded, somewhere you prayed the sinner's prayer, somewhere you felt moved, somewhere you heard the invitation, somewhere you heard the knock, somewhere you drank the water, but you stopped drinking. You stopped opening the door. You stopped going to the banquet. You stopped eating. You stopped receiving God's invitation and welcome to you. You just did the thing and maybe you don't know what to do now. Well, what you do now is you do what you did when you started. I, I, I often tell people this when they accept Christ. The way you get saved is the way you walk saved. How did you, what were you doing when you got saved? Praying? Okay. Pray. That's good. That's good. That's a good thing. <laughs> Talk to God. I don't know what to say. Tell him you don't know what to say. He's okay. God doesn't get nervous. Tell him you don't know what to say. God, I don't know what to say. But I know that you saved me. I know that you love me. I know that you want a relationship with me. I just don't know how to do that. Like God is so good with that. Because what God wants more than the content of your prayer is the relationship. It's not about what you tell. It's not about telling God the right thing. Who would know how to tell God the right thing? It's about being with Him. That's what He wants. So just show up and nobody's there. Nobody's recording. It's not going to come out on YouTube later. Nobody's going to post it on Facebook. Just tell Him. Talk to Him. You've lost the all of your salvation if you've had a salvation experience and nothing else. Something has gone wrong in the awe of your salvation. Here's the third one. You've lost the awe of your salvation if you don't do anything to help other people find the salvation that you found. There's no, there's no awe. Maybe, maybe you think you deserve to be saved. 
Maybe, maybe you think that you, you deserve to be saved more than somebody else. No, when a person lives in awe of salvation, they say, how did I get in? Look, there are times that I go back to my, I, I, I like to go back. For years I would do this. I haven't done it in a while, but for years, every time I'd go back home to Memphis, I would drive around the streets that I walked as a teenager. And I can remember just driving in the car and just crying and crying. Look at those streets. Look at the drug addiction. Look at the crime. Look at the brokenness. Look at the vacant homes. Look at the burned down homes. Look at the kids running in the street and say, God, how did you find me here? How did you ever find me? I don't know how you find me down in the middle of all this mess. Have you forgotten what it was like to not be found? Have you forgotten that salvation wasn't just for you? When you don't do anything, it doesn't mean you have to do the right thing. Nothing. When you don't do anything to help other people find the salvation that you found, you've lost all of it. I don't know if you've heard of, um, how many of you have heard of E.V. Hill? This is sort of a throwback. Lift your hand real high so I can see it. I'll make sure I see it. E.V. Hill, okay. Less than half. Evie Hill was um, just an old school uh, uh, black pastor that preached, you know, almost. Po if you've never heard Evie Hill preach, you've missed one of the great joys of life. He, that guy was a great preacher. And so he used to preach this sermon. And, and this sermon, you can actually look at it. I looked it up on YouTube and, and watched it yesterday. You can look it up on YouTube. If you want to be blessed, look this sermon up. The sermon, the title of the sermon, I think, was. When did God do his best work? And so he goes through this whole thing. He says, when did God do his best work? Yeah. Might have been an organ in the back or something. And he said, it had to have been when God created the heaven and the earth. Nothing had ever existed, and God brought everything from absolutely nothing. The hills and the mountains and the rivers and the birds and the fish and the plants. And when God created the heavens and the earth, that has to be when God did his best work. And then he said, no, no, I don't think so. Well, some people say God did his best work when he created man and woman. When he created this complex, sophisticated creature that the world had never seen, never had the universe seen a creature so uh, sophisticated and so incredibly put together, able to go to the moon and find the cure for diseases, God must have been at his best when he created man and woman. Then he said, no. Maybe God was at his best when he delivered Israel. Think about it for a minute. From slavery across the Red Sea, they walked on dry land, and he sent plagues into Pharaoh's house and frogs and flies and the death of the firstborn, and he used a man that couldn't even speak well to be the deliverer for over a million people, moving them from slavery to the promised land across a generation. That had to be when God did his best work, and he said, no, I don't think that was it. Maybe God did his best work in Jesus. He came through a teenage virgin girl. He was raised as a carpenter's son. He did miracles and he revealed the mysteries of heaven and he brought Lazarus back from the dead. God must have been at his best in the person of Jesus. And he said, no, I don't think so. You have to look a little further. 
Maybe God was at his best on the cross. When God died on the cross for all of our sins, when God got a hold of everything that was ever wrong with us and could ever be wrong with us, that had to be God at his best. When else could God have been at his best other than on the cross? And then he said, no, I don't think that was it either. Maybe, maybe it was at his resurrection. He conquered death and hell and the grave. He didn't do his best work on Friday. He did his best work on Sunday. He came back from the dead. This has to be God at his best. And then he said, no, no, I don't think that was it either. Because you see, the problem that I have is all those miracles are great, but I didn't see any of them. I wasn't there when he created the heaven and the earth. I wasn't there when he brought Lazarus back from the dead. I wasn't there when Israel was delivered. I wasn't there when any of that happened. When was God at his best? If you're looking for the moment that God was at his best, don't even look in the Bible because it's not there. What? It's not there? God's best work, when God did his best work, isn't even in the Bible, then where would you have to go? You have to go to 1986 in Memphis, Tennessee at 2 a.m. on a Friday morning in my living room when I was being crushed under the weight of the emptiness in my soul. And I knelt down on my knees and I looked up to the ceiling and I said, God, if you're real, do something in my life. That is when God did his best work. Where were you at? When he did his best work. For me it was Memphis. Where was it for you? The great thing about it is. He keeps repeating this work. Over and over. He's not making another son. But he's still saving people. He's not making another earth. But he's still adopting new children. It took a miracle. To bring you here today. It took a miracle to bring you here today. It took a miracle to bring you to God. And do you have any awe about your salvation? Do you have any, do you have any wonder about it? I want to read this uh, one verse as we close this morning. God just pressed this verse on me oh, a couple weeks ago. And it's been heavy on me. And I want to share it with you before we pray. In Psalm 51.12, David, um, David had done some evil things. David was the king of Israel. And he had done some evil and dark, selfish things. And when he was kind of coming to grips with what he had done, he went back to God. And he wrote this verse, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. We lose the awe of our salvation for one of three reasons. 
Either we, either we sin, and the sin just drains off the wonder of it. It's a, it's a discouraging thing. Or either the circumstances of life become overwhelming and worry and fear and stress and pressure just choke out the wonder of salvation. Or we just fall asleep. It's a slow bleed. We just drain off. So I don't know, I don't know where you are today, but would you just stand with me and I want to ask our prayer team to come. Right now, it's the most important moment of the day because God's here and He loves you and He's working. Every eye closed. Would you just close your eyes and open your heart? If you could just find a place you could be still for a minute. Can I just tell you, God loves you. And for some reason, if you've lost the awe of your salvation, it's not a moment of shame. It's not a moment of condemnation. It's a moment that every Christian faces. <laughs> every Christian. I've faced it. You've faced it. You just might be facing it now. I don't know. But if you have, you say today, if I'm honest, I've lost the awe of my salvation. It could be sin, it could be circumstances. Could be circumstances totally outside your control. It could be you've just fallen asleep. Today, if you say, that's me, I want you just to lift your hand and say, that's me. I want you just to raise it up. Say, that's me, and you put it right back down. That's me, yeah. Come on, come on, let's get real today. Just lift it up, come on. Come on, God loves you and he's here. There's a miracle in the house. You, you can stand and do nothing if you want to, but I promise you nothing's going to change. If you say, I'm hungry. I don't want it to be this way. God's doing a work of renewal, and it's a miraculous work. And if you want in on it, you can get in on it. It's a drink of water. It's an open banquet. It's a door that's unlocked. All you have to do is respond. Would you just lift your hand and say, hey, today that's me. I've lost, I've lost something in here. I don't know what it is, but I'm suffering, I'm struggling, I'm overwhelmed. Yeah, 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 you put it right back down. Just lift it up. Lift it up. Just lift it up. We just want to pray for you today. Today you're going to meet God. Today it's going to change. Today it's going to change. It's not hard, it's not complicated, it's simple. It can change in a moment, it can change today. You say, I want the joy of my relationship with God back. But you got to got to go through the unlocked door just another couple seconds would you just lift your hand say that's me that's me yes I see it thank you so much yeah there's a miracle for you today maybe today you're here and you've prayed somewhere to be a Christian but you don't really have a relationship with God and you either need to start a relationship with God or you need to start again would you lift your hand and say, pray for me today, that's me. Yes, thank you so much. Yeah, God's working, I'm telling you. Yes, thank you so much. Yes, yeah, I see it. Yes, I see it. Yes, right in the front. Thank you. Yeah, just lift it up. 
Man, God, there's a miracle here. Yeah, I see your hand in the balcony. Thank you so much. Yes, yes, yes. It's, God's working. There's an awe in this room about what he's doing. Maybe you just need a relationship with God for the first time. What I want you to do, whether you lifted your hand or not, man, our prayer team is ready for you. In just a minute, I want you to come. I want you to step out from where you are. Right now, I want you to picture yourself moving away from where you are and walking to one of the prayer team members and just letting them pray for you. I'm telling you, there's a miracle waiting on you. There's a miracle waiting on you. Nobody wants to embarrass you. This is a safe place. These are safe people. They want to encourage you. They want to pray for you. They want to see God's work in your life. And every one of them have been where you are. And I have been where you are. Lord, I thank you today for your grace and mercy. And I thank you for the miracle of salvation. Now do, Lord, what only you can do. If you lifted your hand, I want you to move right now. I want you to move right now. Come right now. Come right now. Come right now. Step out and move right now and let us pray for you. Let the miracle begin to flow. Let the miracle begin to flow. Come on, worship team and leaders. Come on, let the miracle, let the miracle flow. In the balcony. You lifted your hand in the middle. Come on, right now. We want to pray for you. There's a miracle in the house.
raise your hand and you didn't move. So here's what I want to do. I, I'm never going to do anything to embarrass you. I love you. God loves you. So in just a second, we're going to dismiss. And here's all I'm going to ask you to do. Our prayer team's going to going to wait for a few minutes. Worship team's going to keep singing. Man, maybe, maybe you just weren't comfortable and you just need a little something else to take that step. There's no hoops. There's no no religion here you got to fulfill. No box you got to check. I ask you to do one of two things. If you lifted your hand, when the room empties, I want you to come and find one of the prayer team and say, just pray for me. Or at least stay behind and hang there in your seat and just pray for a few minutes until God finishes the work he wants to do. But just, man, there's a miracle. There's a miracle here. And it's so important that you don't miss it. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your grace. And thank you for the joy relationship. Lord, your work of renewal is becoming more valuable and more valuable to us every day. Keep the work of renewal flowing in us now. In Jesus' name. God bless you. Have a great day today.